Well, as we get going here together this morning, I would just remind all of you men in the room that this weekend is our men's conference, and today is the last day to sign up for that. Uh, It's going to be a great time this weekend. We've got Kempis Hernandez coming in from out of town, and he's a good friend to our ministry, and as a dynamic speaker who will be covering the topic of what it looks like to be all in for Jesus. And so that's a time that I know you're not going to want to miss. So if you don't want to miss it, make sure you don't miss the deadline, which is today, okay? Uh, And a, a big thanks in advance to those of you women in the room who will be covering the home front for your men as they are here at that conference. I think that that is a sacrifice. I understand that, but one that will be worth it as the men of our church are equipped in much the same way that the women of our church were equipped last month for the women's conference. And so thank you for helping us out in that way. And I know the men's ministry has done a great job of uh, making sure that that conference ends on Saturday just after lunchtime, which still gives you gentlemen plenty of time to get home and knock a few items off your honeydew list. At least that's how my Saturday afternoons tend to go, it seems. So that'll be a good time. Don't miss it. Well, let's open our Bibles now to John chapter 14 as we pick up our study where we left it off the last time that we were together. And I said in the first service, I'll say it again, that I was so very grateful for Pastor Jerry filling in for me. And uh, I was grateful for the time away with family, but I'm also very grateful to be back here opening up the Word of God with you because there is so much powerful truth for us to learn and understand and appreciate together here this morning. But I know it's been a couple of weeks and perhaps some of you missed that message a couple of weeks ago. And so we kind of need to back up and get a running start here with a little bit of context just so we can all be up to speed together. If you'll remember, the context of what's happening here in John chapter 14 is that we are in the midst of what is known as the Upper Room Discourse, where the Apostle John has essentially transformed us into flies on the wall, if you will, and given us specific special insight in the room where it happened. And that's really what we're looking at here in John 13 through 17 as Jesus begins to prepare his followers, his 11 remaining disciples, Judas having departed already, for what was about to happen. Because the very next morning, you'll recall, he would be crucified. He was going to be leaving them And there was some critical instruction that these men needed to have under their belts, so to speak, before they could go forth out into the world and live the Christian life. See, for them, this revelation that Jesus has just given, that he's going to be leaving, is a shocking reality. But Jesus has also said to these men, never fear. In John 14, 1, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. And the reason why he could say that is given to us in the table of contents for these chapters right there in chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus says, because I am going, I will be for you the way and the truth and the life. If you remember our prior weeks of study, you know what that means. It means that because Jesus went to the cross, the way back to God has now been opened. Because Jesus left and went to the cross, it means that the truth of God is now knowable. 
It means that because Jesus left and went to the cross, the life of God is not just available, but it can now take up its residence inside of you. And that really is the point of chapter 14, to explain to us the meaning of spiritual life that is now made available to all of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ as being the only way and the only truth. Now we are able to receive the only life. And see, the last time that we were together, Jesus defined that life for us. Remember? He said the definition of life means that you have the capacity and the ability to love me and obey me. But see, here's the thing. You and I aren't capable of that kind of love and obedience on our own. No, we need his life dwelling inside of us in order to make that possible. And so Jesus has just finished in the text just prior to our text for this morning, he has just finished telling his disciples that he was going to send them a helper, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, who would now take up residence within them and empower them for the living of the life that he is offering to them. That's where we were the last time we were together. See, with that spirit now dwelling inside of them, with that spirit dwelling inside of us, they and we discover the power that we need to live for Christ, to love him and to obey him. But if, if we do not have that spirit of Christ dwelling within us, well, then there is no power for love and obedience. Just ask the apostle Peter. Remember what happened to him? And earlier in chapter 13, he's already told Jesus, I love you so much that I will always be faithful to you. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, you may think you do, but no, you don't. Because on your own, Peter, you don't have the capacity. And friends, neither do you or I. But that is why Jesus says, I am going to send you my helper because he is the one who will now come and dwell within you. And when he does, he will enable you to not only love, but also to obey my commandments. See, having the life of Christ, it means that you've got the kind of enabling relationship to God and his son Jesus through his spirit living within you. That's the power of the life. That's what we looked at last time. But here today, we're going to look at together the benefits of this life. You know, here in chapter 14, we'll pick it back up in verse 18. We're going to find Jesus' explanation of what we might call the believer's benefits package. And as many of you might know who have had the opportunity to hire someone else into your company, the, the fun part of the hiring process is what's called the, the EOB in the HR world. That means the explanation of benefits. That's the fun part of hiring someone. See, giving them a salary, well, that's expected. It's assumed. Nobody does a job without expecting a salary. But where, where you as a company or an organization can really set yourself apart is not in the salary. It's actually in the explanation of the benefits package that comes with working here in this place. For instance, Many companies will offer a, a health care plan or a vision plan or a dental plan. 
Some companies will even offer a retirement savings plan, or they might give vacation time or, or sick time, the more the better. Or, or they might actually give you, if it's a really great company, an expense account, or maybe they'll focus in on their workplace perks. We have an espresso machine after all. <laughs> See? There's all these benefits that come with working in different kinds of companies. And it's all of those benefits that allows an employer to say, working here is going to be worth it for you. It's going to be better for you. You're going to want to be a part of this workplace, a part of this employment family. Well, that's the idea here in this text. See, the coming of the Holy Spirit into the life of the believer it represents the ultimate benefit to you. See, when you and I place our faith in Jesus Christ and believe in His work on our behalf, the baptism of the Spirit coming into our lives and indwelling us, it is instantaneous. And when He comes into our life, we don't just get a random benefit here and there. No, we get the whole package, the full enchilada, if you will. See, He is the one whose presence sets apart this new life that Jesus is offering as being separate and a superior kind of life. According to Jesus, getting the Spirit, that means that you get the works, the lux, the brand, if you will, that makes belonging to this particular family and all the effort that goes with it worth it. So, what are those benefits specifically? And that's what we're going to get into here in this text this morning. Now, I will warn you up front, on your paper, this sermon has two points. And that's because all great plans must be made ahead of time. And then push comes to shove, pen goes to paper, and you discover there ain't no way we're getting through two points. So, take the space, cannibalize the page. You can use all of it to write things down. Because we're only getting through point one here this morning. Let's focus in on the benefits that come to the believer when we have the Holy Spirit indwelling our lives. That's what we're talking about now. And as we get going, I think it's really important to note, and it's worth noting, that in each of these five promises that Jesus gives to us here, the whole package, he's going to be bouncing back and forth between the present and the future tenses. For instance, in the very first promise, he says, look, I will not leave you, that's future tense, but I am coming to you. That's how the original language frames this up. And the English translators have kind of equalized them so it makes sense in the English language, but in the original language, it's a present tense mixed with a future tense. And you say, well, why does that matter? It matters because it indicates that the coming of the Spirit for these men was technically still in the future. See, the Spirit was going to come to them on the day of Pentecost, which was just a matter of a few short weeks away. But the benefits that Jesus is describing here, when that Spirit comes, would from that point forward be constant, present tense sorts of realities. You, you cannot divorce the presence of the Spirit from the presence of these benefits. That's what Jesus wants us to understand. So while all of these benefits were still in the future for these disciples, they are now present for all of us who have placed our faith in Christ. And that's very important to remember as we get going here in the text. 
Jesus may frame these things up as being future for these men, but then the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. And now for those of us who have believed in Jesus, guess, guess what? We're not waiting around for these benefits to show up on our doorstep. No, they're here now, present tense. And that's why I bring that point out to you, because I want you to recognize that you've already got everything Jesus is going to go on to promise here in this text. So let's just look at these things one at a time. The first benefit that he gives to us here is the benefit of protection, spiritual protection, that is. See, in verse 18, Jesus says, and I have to imagine that his voice sparkled when he said these things, because there's such an eagerness from God to deliver these benefits to, to people like you and me who so desperately are in need of them. But, but listen to what he says. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I am coming to you already, he says. See, the best translation of that word leave there is to abandon someone. He's not saying, or he's saying, man, just because I'm going to leave you, that doesn't mean that I'm going to abandon you or let you down. You're not going to be hung out to dry here in the mean streets of Jerusalem, defenseless. You see, the, the ancient world, it didn't have orphanages. They didn't have social services or anything like foster care. No, to, to be made an orphan was a terrifying reality. And that's kind of what the disciples are feeling as Jesus says, I'm leaving. And you can sense the panic in their voices as each question they ask for in this chapter crescendos in volume just a little bit where there's this rising terror of him leaving them. They, they feel like he is going to abandon them. And Jesus says, no, you will not be orphans for I am coming to you. See, to be an orphan in their world was to be on the street by yourself with no one to protect, to provide, to guard, or to guide. And Jesus says, that isn't going to be the case for you. I will, I am coming to you. And how exactly was he going to come to them? It was through the presence of the helper, the one that he has just introduced to them. He's saying, you're going to have this helper with you as a caretaker. It's not as though you're going to be alone with, with, no pres with none of my presence alongside of you. You think that you're losing something, but I'm here to tell you that you're going to gain something better when my spirit comes and indwells you. I'm not just leaving you alone with no plan to return and no good reason for my departure. Listen, he's going to say in chapter 16, it is to your benefit that I would go away. You know, I'm reminded at this point of, the, of a time when Michelle and I were preparing to move here to St. Louis. And we made an offer on a house, but in order to close the deal on the house, we had to be here in St. Louis to lay, to lay eyes on the house the very next morning. And it was like 8 p.m. that night. And so we had to immediately drop everything, rush to the airport, get on a red eye to be here the next morning. Very strange set of circumstances. But our kids essentially went to bed that night. And when they woke up in the morning, vamoose, we were gone. They're looking around like, what happened to my parents? 
And, 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 but here, here's the thing about the trip. When, when, when we made plans to, to go away, when we made plans to leave at the drop of a hat at the last minute, we, we did not just buy a, a one-way ticket and say, good luck, guys, I, we're not planning to come back. No, the ticket was a, was a two-way ticket. We were going to come, and then we were going to return. And we were also leaving them for a really good reason. We were leaving them so that we could go before them to prepare a place for them in the place where they were going to be living with us. You see, that's very important. But here's, here's the really important part. We did not just leave them, I know you're wondering, they're on their own saying, we'll be back in three days. Because not only would that, would that have been cold and callous, it would have been criminal. You can't just leave kids alone, home alone by themselves as though they were orphans with no caretakers. Guys, we'll see you in a few. No, what do we do? We left them there with their grandparents who were duly authorized, empowered caretakers, and in many ways, they were caretakers of the same kind that, that we are. They have our same last name. They share our same DNA. They have our same value system. They share the same authority that we gave to them. And see, at that point, the illustration now starts to break down a little bit, so let's not push it farther than this. But, but you get the point, right? We did not abandon our children. It was in their best interests that we would go and prepare a place for them. We had plans to return to them. And in our absence, we left them with a caretaker that was going to do just fine to take care of them. And that is what's happening here in chapter 14. Jesus says, I've got plans to come back. Don't worry. I'm going for a good reason to prepare a place for you. And while I'm gone, you're not going to be left alone as orphans. You're going to have a caretaker here who is duly authorized and of the same kind as I am. And therein lies the primary difference between my illustration and what Jesus is saying here. Because you see, when a parent leaves a child, as great as grandparents are, and I know many of you are great-grandparents, not that you're great-grandparents, but you're great <laughs> and your grandparents. When a parent leaves, something inherent of value leaves with them. Because as great as grandparents are, they aren't the actual parents. But when Jesus says, I will not abandon you as orphans, he's not saying, I'm going to leave you with a lesser helper. He says, I'm going to leave you with a helper who is of the same kind that I have been to you, who is of the very same nature. How can that be? It's because Christ and the Spirit, they are one of the same essence, and therefore they share full authority and full glory and full honor. And so there's no packet loss. There's no, there's no lack of quality in this helper that has now been given to us. It's not as though Jesus left and yet we're stuck with the Spirit. No, Jesus left and now we get another helper of the very same kind who is the Spirit. But instead of it just being kind of the same on the same plane, Jesus goes on to say, look, this other helper who is of the same kind and essence of me, that's going to be better for you. Why? Because now instead of him just being with you, he is also going to be now in you. And the results of that are profound. And we begin to see that here in verse 18, where he's saying, you're not going to be abandoned. You're going to be protected here. See, these men were terrified that they were going to get kicked out onto the mean streets of Jerusalem, Oliver Twist style. But Jesus 
Jesus comes to them and he says, look, I have made arrangements for you. You're not going to be abandoned. No, quite the opposite. It's actually going to be better because now you're going to be protected from the inside out. And that is a truth that the rest of the New Testament goes on to explain to us with great power and effect. Just listen to some of these statements that are now true of what lives inside of you. Romans chapter 8, for instance, verse 38, a text that is stated in the context of the Holy Spirit's presence in you. The Apostle Paul says, it's because of the Spirit's presence that I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation can ever separate us from the love of God. You see, it's the presence of the Spirit that protects us from all kinds of spiritual threats. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 gives us another way that He protects us, for instance. It's because of the Spirit's presence that we now can cast all of our anxieties on Him, knowing that He cares for us. He doesn't just protect us from the outside threats. He also protects us from the internal kinds of defections and anxieties that live in here. See, Jesus already told us in John chapter 10, verse 28, here's another way he protects us. It's because of the Spirit's presence that Jesus can say, I have given them eternal life. They will never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. For my Father is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father and by extension and the Spirit, we are one. That's what it means for you to now have the Helper dwelling inside of you. See, nothing can get by Him. He ensures your eternal protection. With Him, you are clutched in the firmness of a Trinitarian kind of grasp. No one able to snatch you out, pry you loose, cut you off. You are safe. See, He wasn't going to leave us as orphans. No, He did something better. He planted His very Spirit inside of us. And that's the essence of what it means to have the life, His life, Him with us at all times. There is no separation, not now, not ever, because the Spirit, He has come to us and done so with great power. Well, we've got to speed it up or we won't even get through point one. Let's keep going. Here's benefit number two. The Spirit, when He comes also brings great clarity. And here's what this meant to the men in that room. A little while means, here in this context, the very next day. In verse 19, he says, Yet a little while, tomorrow morning, the world will see me no more. But you, here's the benefit, you will see me. Now, there are two fulfillments of that. One of those fulfillments was only true for these men. The other fulfillment was true for these men, but it's also true for us. Let me explain this here very briefly. See, the next day he was going to be cut off from the vision of the world. That's the word behold there, to see with one's own eyes. The, the presence of his light was going to be blotted out. But he says, that won't be true for you men who follow me. You will see me again with your own eyes. 
See, that's exactly what happened. Jesus was raised, and he did appear to these men, and they beheld him with their own eyes. And not only that, they put their fingers right down into his wounds. See, the Spirit of God was going to raise up the person of Christ, and not only would they be able to see him with their own eyes, but here's the second fulfillment. They would be able to see him and appreciate him and grasp him in a way that they had never been able to do before, a better way, a new way, with greater clarity. And that, my friends, that is the second fulfillment that pertains to us. See, the Spirit of Christ dwelling within us, it enables us to see the truth about Jesus better than even the disciples did when Jesus was walking with them. And that is the benefit that the Spirit brings to us today, that now we can see Him. That's what makes the Spirit of God so powerful in our lives. For instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us that it is the Spirit who searches everything, even the depths of God. It is the Spirit who knows the fullness of God's mind. And now, what have we received from heaven? We haven't received the Spirit of this world, Paul says there. No, we have received the Spirit who is from God so that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Because of the Spirit of God's presence in our life, we can know the very mind of God, for that is what he now reveals to us. Paul goes on in a text like Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. And there he says this of the Spirit's clarifying work. Now, and he's praying, may God give you the spirit of wisdom and the knowledge of him so that you can have the eyes of your heart enlightened. And what's the result of having the eyes of your heart enlightened by the Spirit? He goes on and he says so that you may know what is the hope to which this Spirit has called you, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards those of us who have believed. See, the Spirit now brings us clarity to know what has been granted to us. Let me give you one more. John chapter 15, verse 26, the very next chapter, Jesus is going to go on to say, look, when the Helper the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, the one who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you, with that newfound clarity, will also bear witness. See, what's the practical benefit of the Spirit within you? Well, he reveals Christ so clearly to you that now you can know the deep things of God. Your heart can be enlightened and you can see Christ so very clearly that you are now compelled to go forth and bear witness of Him. The reality of way, truth, and life so powerful within you that it erupts forth from you like molten fire from the mouth of a volcano. That's what the Spirit produces, a clarity so powerful that it must be shared. See, that's the benefit of having the Spirit. It's not just that you're protected from spiritual danger. It's also that you now have full clarity on the reality of spiritual life. Such clarity that you can give that clarity now to others. This is what the Spirit does within you. But see, Jesus, he is, um, He's not done here with the benefits package. He keeps going on. He gives us another one here. Call it benefit number three, vibrancy. And I think, you know, I love all of these. Obviously, you have to. They're all so important for our spiritual lives. But out of the five, I, I think that this one is probably my favorite just because of the way that Jesus talks about it here. 
See, Jesus, as we know from the context that I've already mentioned, he is staring death right in the face. He is nose to nose with it. Remember, how many times has he said in the previous two chapters, my hour has now come. And what does he say next here in verse 19? Right into the teeth of his greatest foe. Look, he says, because, and it's present tense, I am living. Because I am living, you also will live. Folks, considering what was coming right at him the next morning, the boldness of this statement, because I am living, is breathtaking. It's as though he has skipped right over the impending actions of the next day and he's already assuming and thinking about what was going to be true three days later once the resurrection had taken place. That, that moment where his heel gets bruised, he skips right on over it and starts talking as though the resurrection has already happened. Because I am now living, this is what is going to be true in you. Because I am alive, so you too will be alive now as well. See, that's the power. And, and we have to understand here, Whose power was it specifically that brought Jesus back from the grave? How did the resurrection happen? Theology, quick, pop quiz. Well, Romans 8, chapter 11, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, tells us the answer. It is the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. See, it was the Spirit who was the agent that brought Christ up from his grave, restoring his incarnate person to life. But then Romans 8.11 goes on to say this, and it echoes what Jesus is telling his followers here. Romans 8.11 says, It's the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead that now lives in you. And just as surely as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, so too will he give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit who is now living in you. If the Spirit was sufficiently powerful to raise Christ from his grave, do you not think that that very same Spirit is sufficiently powerful to raise you from your spiritual grave? That is the essence of the argument that Paul is making there in Romans chapter 8. And it's exactly an expansion of what Jesus says here. Look, because I am living, that's a work of my spirit, the helper who is coming, so too are you going to live as well. If he is powerful enough to affect resurrection in me, well, then he is powerful enough to affect resurrection in you too. That's what he says, which means now the full vibrancy of Christ's eternal life is now made available to you and to me. That has some pretty powerful ramifications. Let's just pull this apart here for a couple of minutes. See, if you've got the full vibrancy of Christ's eternal life available to you today, let's think through the implications of this. Here's what it means. Christians should not be people who are characterized by discouragement. Christians are not people who should be characterized by anxiety. They should not be people who are characterized by walking around in terrified fear. And Christians should certainly not be people who are characterized primarily by being utterly hopeless. Why? Because the Spirit of God now dwells within us. 
the vibrancy of the life of Christ now made available to each and every one of us who have the Spirit. Now, let's be very clear. This doesn't mean that we won't struggle with these things. We will, and we all do, because we have a flesh that we are combating. But just because we struggle with them doesn't mean that we must be defined by them. Because you see, all of those things, they are manifestations of the flesh, not of the Spirit. All of these things are a reflection that our focus is on ourselves and our own temporal comfort rather than upon Christ and the power of His Spirit dwelling within us. You see, Romans 8, 6 teaches us that the mind that is set on the Spirit, it doesn't bring discouragement and anger and despair and anxiety. No, what does the mind that is set on the Spirit bring to us? It brings to us, we're told, life and peace. Romans 15, 13 is another one. It goes on to tell us that the Spirit fills us up with hope and joy. And so if peace and hope and joy are not those things that are filling us up, and we find ourselves constantly being defined by and combating our natural anxieties and worry and despair, what does that mean? It means that our focus is not where it ought to be. Because here is what the Holy Spirit of God does within you. He enables you to know the vibrancy of Christ's life today. See, not only are you and I protected Not only do we have clarity, but we also can know the joy and peace and hope and comfort of God's Spirit dwelling within us as well. Just as He lives, so too do now we live alongside of Him. Does that truth cause you to rejoice? Does that truth cause you to worship? Does that truth cause you to surge out of a place like this? with energy and enthusiasm to go back about the work of your life in full faith and hope and love, knowing that if Jesus lives, so do you. See, that's the principle that Jesus is giving us here. The vibrancy of what he knows, the beauty of his life, it now belongs to you and to me. Well, let's keep going because Jesus isn't anywhere near done even though we need to be. (laughs) Benefit number four is a unity that now exists between you and God. See, where once you were alienated from Him and at odds with God, now you have been reconciled to Him. But it's not as just there's two separate parties who now get along. No, it's something much more profound than that. See, peace with God means that there is a unification, a uniting that takes place. Look at what Jesus says here in verse 20. In that day, what day? The day when the Spirit comes to you, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Do you see the perfect unity that exists there, the union that is there? See, here's what Jesus is saying. Now, stay with me. This means... That when the Spirit comes into your life, 
You have the wholeness of God. It's not as though you've got one third of God or the lesser third of God. No, you've got the wholeness of God because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they are all of the same essence, sharing the same power, the same glory, the same authority, the same everything with one another. And so if you've got the Spirit, then you are also one with Father and Son, the fullness of God now dwelling within you. That's the implication of what he saying just as the son and the father are indivisible you can't separate them out because there's no difference in their nature there's no separation in their operations just as they are one so too now you are made one with them how is that possible it's only as his spirit is inside of you and now the result of that jesus says is this Just as the members of the Godhead are inseparably fused together, now if you have come to Christ in faith and received His Spirit, you are inseparably fused to God. You want to talk about a verse that ensures eternal security and salvation? It's this one right here. You can't lose your salvation. You can't get the Spirit and then have Him get kicked out of you Because if you did, that would fundamentally assault the unity of God. That's what he's saying here. If it were possible for your salvation to be vaporized, for your salvation to dissolve, God would have had to have dissolved first. Because if I and the Father are one, and my Spirit and I are one, and we are in you, then you are one with us, he would have to stop being one before you could stop being one with him. And there are some pretty profound theoretical implications of that. Namely, the universe would cease existing. God is the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. And if he upholds the universe by the word of his power and he dissolves, well, we're going to file that under the nature of problematic, to say the least. (laughs) Don't you see the comfort in this? The benefit to you? Now, let's be really clear now. This doesn't mean that you become God sharing in his essence. It's a unity of participation that he's talking about here. And that's what Jesus is going to go on to pray about in chapter 17, where he goes on in chapter 17 to say, Holy Father, keep my followers in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I do not ask for these only, these 11 apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who is that? That's you and me. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, he says. See, the implication of you having the Spirit of God inside of you is that you're not only made one with God forever and united to him, you are also made one with each other as well. See, if both of us have the Spirit of God in us, how could we be at odds with one another? That's the practical implication that is given to us here. The Apostle Paul fleshes this out just a little bit. You know, some of you will remember the names Eodia and Syntyche, these two women who lived in the city of Philippi. They were just normal people. And for normal people, it's standard operating procedure to not get along with certain other people. And these two ladies were just following that normal protocol. They didn't get along well, sniping at each other, gossiping about each other, and generally not seeing eye to eye. 
But the Apostle Paul rolls along in the book of Philippians, and he says, look, for the believer who has the Spirit of God dwelling within them, this is not normal behavior. And those two ladies discovered that because the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, immortalizes their names as being synonymous with disunity. Talk about feeling like you got your hand caught in the cookie jar. But the reason why that kind of disunity is so unacceptable in the church is because of this truth right here. We've all got the same Spirit of God dwelling inside of us and uniting us together just as we have been united to Christ. And so unity in the life of the church, it's not optional, it's essential because part of God's glory is His unity. And now you've been caught up into the participation of that unity because we all have the same Spirit of God. And so we dare not be at odds with one another. You and I, we, we cannot stain the glory of God by claiming to be one with His Spirit over here, but apart from each other over there. We've all got the same Spirit within us, which means we all must be together as a body. See, that's the implication of this truth that we can flesh out here as we dig down into it. And that's, that's really good stuff. And we'll get there more because Jesus is going to flesh this out more in the coming chapters. But there's one more benefit here that we need to cover. It's companionship. See, Jesus comes back to the command in verse 15 that started this whole crescendo of benefits. The only way that you can love and obey him is if you have his spirit. And if you have his spirit, now, verse 21, he comes back to the theme and says it's possible. If you have the helper, then now you've got the ability to obey my commandments and keep them and love me. And if you love me, then you will be loved by my Father. What does that mean? It means that where once God stood over us, offering us judgment and wrath, now, because of the Spirit's presence in our life through the work of Christ, He is benevolent caretaker for us. He offers us His love in the place of what we deserved, His judgment. That's what the Spirit produces, companionship to the Father. And just as He loved His Son and was well-pleased in Him, so now He loves you and is well-pleased in you because of Christ. And not only that, if you have the Spirit, not only are you loved by the Father, but Christ Himself will love you, and He will manifest Himself to you. The Son of God, no longer just judge over you who must be obeyed or else. No, Jesus is going to explain in chapter 15, now He goes on to become our friend. In chapter 15, He says, no longer do I call you my servants, I have called you my friends instead. And see, that's what is ours. Communion, fellowship, companionship with the Father and the Son brought to you courtesy of the Holy Spirit. Spirit, singular. I don't know why that came out plural just now. Brought to you courtesy of the Holy Spirit. See, friends, as far as benefits packages go, this one takes the cake, doesn't it? I mean, how eager do you think Jesus was to share all of these things with his men? I mean, the first revelation of the Holy Spirit coming to believers had been made by the prophet Jeremiah 600 years previously. And for 600 years, the promise had been waiting. And there in that room with these 11 men, Jesus turns to them and says, Gentlemen, it's time. 
Let me express to you all the benefits that will be yours when this spirit comes in a few short days. Protection, you'll have it. Clarity, it's yours. Vibrancy, you'll know it. Unity, one with me. Companionship, you'll be in full fellowship with me and the Father. These are your benefits. Now, it's important to note that never having had the Spirit, these men were incapable of comprehending the Spirit. As Sinclair Ferguson says, trying to explain the power and the beauty of the Spirit to someone who doesn't have him is like trying to explain the vibrancy of color to a blind man or the wonder of a scent to a man who has no smell. (laughs) There's just no ability to comprehend. And we're going to see that next week as the disciples yet ask another really stupid question that can be summed up in one word. Really? And Jesus is going to go on to say, essentially, yes, really. Let me show you the superiority of what it is that I'm offering to you. But my friends, you and I, we have no such lack of clarity, do we? We understand exactly who he is and what his benefits are because we've already got him. And so we can hear Jesus' statements here and we can smell the fragrance of his grace that's represented here And all of that experiential knowledge should produce within us now a distinct brand of living. As the rest of the New Testament calls it, we are now to be people who walk by the Spirit. See, for us, having the Spirit means that we don't live some second-rate, weak-sauce kind of Christian life. No, we have a fully empowered life. We are empowered to deny our flesh through the Spirit's power. We can read the Word of God and know the mind of Christ through the Spirit's illumination. We can apply that word and yield our will to His by the Spirit's power. That is what it means to walk by the Spirit. In short, now we can do that which previously was impossible for us to to do. Remember the statement, if you love me, you'll obey me. Well, Peter wasn't able because he didn't yet have the Spirit. But you and I, friends, we do have the Spirit. And so we must walk by the power of this spirit. Peter was going to go on to fail spectacularly before he was going to succeed. He's a man who is well qualified to teach us what it is to both have and not have the spirit. And listen to what he has to say many, many years after this night about what happens when the spirit comes into your life. Here's what he says should define us. Here's what our Christian walk should look like. He says in 1 Peter 1, you now have, with that spirit inside of you, having been sealed for that day of redemption, an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. Don't forget it. And though, though you may not have seen Christ now, you love him. That which was impossible for Peter, he now says even you people who have never seen Jesus can do it. Why? Because you've got the Spirit. He goes on, he says again, though you do not see Him now, you're able to believe in Him. And the Spirit now allows you to rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with the glory of God's eternal life. Friends, that's the benefit of the Spirit that we all know and love. In Him, though we have never seen Christ with our eyes, we know Christ. We believe in Him. We're empowered to live for Him and to obey Him. Why? Because we've got the life of Christ resident within us. So go and live accordingly. Let's close in a word of prayer this morning. Our Father God, we do thank You
for your word, for your son, for your spirit, this great helper who has been given to us. We have not been abandoned. We do not look forward to the future without hope. No, we have been fully empowered. We have been fully strengthened for the living of this life. We have been fully granted the power of God unto salvation as your spirit comes and takes up his residence within us. Lord, may that be true of every person in this room. May we all have turned to Jesus Christ, having faith in his work, knowing the baptism of the Holy Spirit who now empowers us to live the life that you have made possible for us to have. Thank you for that blessing. Thank you for that gift. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand and conclude this morning by reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in grace.